Thanks for joining us for the City Church Podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. For those of us that are here every week, I had a couple weeks off, which was glorious, but I am really, really, I, I missed you guys. I know you missed me too. No, nobody's really saying anything. Okay. All right, thanks. Yeah, ish. Appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I did miss you guys, and, uh, and God taught me so many cool things while I was away. Uh, my family and I went on vacation, went to Florida, had a great time, um, really just got to worship Jesus as a family and hang out, and, uh, and it was just an awesome, awesome experience. Then uh, this week, we were up, me and some of the guys here actually from City Church were up in Boston. We ran a conference, and... Um, you know, I just want to give glory to Jesus. We were there Thursday, Friday, and, and yesterday, and uh, we saw people saved. Uh, people met Jesus, gave their lives over to Jesus. We saw people healed. Uh, people were healed of sicknesses and illnesses as we prayed for them. It was amazing. We saw people really experience the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. It was, it was a power-packed three days, uh, and then we drove home and, and hit a deer on the way home, and everything's cool. So um, sorry for the deer, but let's give some glory to God for the people that were saved and for the people that were healed. God, we're just really grateful. Thank you that you're doing stuff all over New England. Awesome. Really exciting. So, um, but I have to be honest, I am really, really happy to be back with you guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. So we've been in this series um, called Poets and Prophets, you know, and uh, we've been walking through the Psalms, looking at different Psalms and, uh, and looking how these prophetic voices would put in poetry their prayers to God. And, um, you know, the conviction of our hearts is that these are not just good songs or good poems, but they are the very breath of God. And so we're going to be in Psalm 84 today, Psalm 84, and I believe God has a real specific word for you. So we're going to read the Psalm in its entirety to kick us off here, and then we'll jump in. So uh, Psalm 84, you can turn there in a Bible if you'd like, or just follow along on the screen. And by the way, if you're new here, welcome. Glad to have you. Here we go, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those whose strength is who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this chance to celebrate and sing to Jesus. Thank you for this chance to sing songs and to come together as a family of believers. Thank you for this chance to read the Bible. Um, 
God, we ask you right now in the name of Jesus that these words would become living and active in our souls. Lord, I believe, I'm convinced that by the Spirit you have a direct and specific word for every single one of us this morning. And so I ask that you would do what only you can do in the supernatural, miraculous power of God, that you would take these words from Psalm 84, written by a prophet thousands of years ago, and that you would transpose them to speak directly to every single one of our hearts today. Jesus, we have all types of time in the world to hear from men, to hear from women. Today, we want to hear from God. We're not interested in what men think. We're interested in what you think. Speak to us specifically and individually during this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I got involved uh, with music pretty early in my life. My parents, uh, my dad was a musician, and I remember as a little kid, you know, going to bed, 14 Barton Circle, laying down at night, and uh, I could hear my dad playing guitar in the living room, you know, and every night I would lay there and I would just listen to him play guitar, and I'd fall asleep to him playing guitar, and I a few times went and got to see him play at different places. He'd play at clubs and bars and things like that, and play, you know, James Taylor cover tunes and, you know, that type of thing, and, and, and I just enjoyed, um, you know, that as a kid, watching that happen, and growing up, I was always sort of involved in music. I gave my life to Jesus as a teenager and got more involved in music and began to write songs to Jesus. And um, when I was 19 years old, the band that I was playing with wanted to record an album, which is pretty exciting for a 19-year-old kid. And so here we are, you know, a bunch of us ready to record this album, never recorded anything in our whole lives, but we meet this guy who has a studio, you know? And so we're like, wow, he's got a studio? Cool. Now, we didn't know that his studio was in this, like, apartment complex, and he wasn't allowed to make any noise till, like, 9 or 9.30 at night. And it, was ha- it happened to be not, you know, in New Haven, where we were from. It happened to be in Worcester, Massachusetts. And so me and my friends would drive up to Worcester, Massachusetts, you know, in our Volvo station wagon, all Volvo lovers, lovers just say what's up, I know you're out there, but, uh, you know, in our like 1984 Volvo station wagon, which my girlfriend owned, and who I married her, by the way, worked out well, and... Um, and we would, you know, we'd get up there and the, the, obviously it would already be dark outside. It'd be 9, 9.30 at night and we would start this recording process and we would go till 4 or 5 in the morning and then we would drive home drinking Pepsis and eating combos because combos are really good at 4 in the morning. I mean, they're terrible for the intestines inside, but boy, they taste delicious, especially the pizza one with the pretzels. Just saying, it's good stuff. So um, that's what we would do. And so, you know, we did this for a long time. And, and, you know, I didn't have any knowledge of recording. The whole focus of the record was just play the right notes, right? I mean, like when you're young and you don't know what you're doing, it's just like, all right, just play the G chord, tune the guitar, play the chord, make sure it sounds good. And so we'd do that and then we'd say, sing the song, you know, and try to sing it on pitch, you know? And so the whole time we weren't focusing, you know, on anything beyond just trying to play the right notes and sing the right song, you know? And so we did that. We played the right notes. We sang the right song most of the time but then I started to learn something about this recording process and now I've been a part of a number of different records and producing a number of different musical you know productions and I've learned something interesting to me about the science and the art of music see in music certainly there is a science you have to play the right notes right and that's all true and that's good but there's also this intangible something about music and what I learned at Bright Cloud Studio in Worcester Massachusetts is you can play the right chords and you can sing the right notes, but you can step back after and listen to it and go, oh, sounds flat, sounds weird. There was something missing. And I'm sure you've experienced this before in your own life that there are things in life that you can do just right and yet somehow miss the secret sauce. 
And so we'd record these songs. I remember this one song we recorded was called My Deliverer. And we recorded this song and it's, it, the chorus says, be my deliverer, be my strength for I am weak. I mean like the heart cry of a person in need. And we sang it like this. Be my deliverer. It, it was unconvincing. It was completely unconvincing. You'd listen to him and be like, that guy doesn't need a deliverer. He needs a nap. You know, like it just, it didn't speak of deliverance at all. It didn't have the, it didn't have the juice. And what I've learned is that far too often, Christianity has the same problem. That you and I can do the right things. We can play the right notes. We can attend the right services, give the right amount of money, you know, read the right Bible verses, have the right routines. And yet somewhere along the line, our faith can get flat, can get out of tune, can get, doesn't have the life. And this manifests in various different ways. And I'll give you a few categories this morning. You know, some of us are operating in a place of what I would call spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity, it's a place where, you know, you're basically interacting with God in a, you know, an auto insurance, you know, relationship. What I mean by that is, you know, I have an auto insurance agent, right? And he does my auto insurance. He does all different kinds of insurances. And I like him. He's a cool guy. Uh, you know, we have a good time on the phone together. We, you know, we talk and, and, and you know, me and Gabe go back and forth and he helps me with glass coverage and like all these da 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 and you know when I call him and I ask him about things I call him up and I you know he does my homeowner insurance he does all different types of insurance and I I call him up and I say you know hey can you help me with this but one thing I don't do is I don't call Gabe and go hey man hey what can I do for you just want to call how you doing fine you need a change on your insurance well no just wanted to just wanted to call me and Gabe don't have that type of relationship nice guy great guy I just don't know him that well we don't have that type of relationship. All I do is I call him if somebody hit me or if I hit somebody. Okay, that's it. That's the only times we interact really. If there's a problem. And some of us, that's the way that we interact with God. God, we talk when somebody hits me or when I hit somebody. And I need you to fix me, heal me, help me, bless me. So would you please do that right now? Some of you, you're operating in that level of immaturity in your walk with God. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, but that's the reality of where you're at right now. But some of us have taken it beyond that. And I think God has mercy for us in the younger days of our Christian walk, when we're just starting out with God, where it's okay just to be a needy baby and always say those things. But some of you, it's been 25 years and you're still in that place. Only calling God when somebody hits you or you hit somebody. But then others of us, evolve beyond this and we get to another place with God and it's what I would call a transactional relationship. It's the relationship that says, okay, God, I'm going to do this for you and then you're going to do that for me, right? We're going we're to have an agreement here. So, you know, for the young men or I've, I've talked to many young men that say things like this, okay, God, you know, I'm going to, they don't say it this bluntly, but all right, God, I'm going to uh, not have sex with my girlfriend. I'm going to give the right amount of money at church. I'm going to go every week. I'm going to, you know, go to Bible studies. I'm going to stop looking at porn. And then you have to give me a hot wife and a really awesome job. Is that a good deal? Can we do that? Can we just agree to those two? Agree? And then we think that that's the way we interact with God. God, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to do this, and then you're going to do this. This transactional relationship. Interestingly enough, God doesn't seem to like to play by those rules. And so it's all good, and some of us live our whole lives this way, it's all good until he doesn't seem to come through on his end of the bargain. And then all of a sudden, I've watched this more times than I can count, you crumble. And you say, well, I, I don't know why God didn't, fix me. I don't know why God didn't heal me. I don't know why God didn't bless me. I did all the right things. What's the matter with God? And it all starts to crumble when he doesn't seem to come through. I want to suggest to you this morning that there's a level of relationship that is far beyond the immature relationship of bless me, help me, auto insurance friend. 
And there's something far beyond the relationship of transactional, I'll do this if you do that, friend. You know, recently, um, I found myself in a spiritual rut. And uh, I had a hard time figuring out, it's probably about three or four months, maybe longer, I don't know really. But I had a hard time figuring out how I got in this rut. I don't know if you've ever been there before. You ever been there before where it's just like, I just feel like I'm in a funk, but I just can't figure out why. And you know, I found myself worrying more and laughing less. That's always a bad sign. You know, I was worrying more and I was, I was laughing less. And you know, ministry kind of became gray. You know, and I, I mean, I love God's call in my life. I love being a part of this church. I love seeing people meet Jesus. But somewhere along the line, all the busyness of ministry was no longer in the panoramic view of all of God's color. It just had gotten sort of flat and gray. And I found myself doing all the stuff, you know, and I was doing all the personal disciplines, but those personal disciplines had gotten routine. Have you ever been there before? And so I'm reading the Bible and I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm giving and I'm doing all these things, but it just feels routine. It feels like I'm just going through the motions, you know, and I found myself starting to think smaller. I found myself starting to have the awe that surrounded my dreams in the past started to kind of lose its aweness. You ever been there before? ever been there before where your walk with God just starts to get kind of flat where you feel like you're just kind of going through the motions and you're not sure exactly what's off you know 21 months ago me and a bunch of friends felt called from God to start this church called City Church and we're all sitting here today worshiping Jesus and we had some high aspirations you know we had some high big dreams and you know we you know we always we say things like, listen, we don't like the way that we see the American Christian machine running, and we don't want to play by those rules. And so we began to just set off 21 months ago. I'm just being brutally honest with you right now and said, you know, listen, we believe that God has something unique here. We believe that there's a substance that must be developed among followers of Jesus that's different than the consumerism that we see in American culture. Two people are with me. Awesome. So we got some work to do. And so, you know, and so we began to have this passion to just say, that's what we believe in. But, you know, you watch these politicians and they start off with great passion and with great ambitions. And little by little, they sell themselves to interest groups and special things. And they sell shares of their soul until by the time they get into their whatever it is, governor, president, whatever it is that they, you know, obtain, they find themselves at odds with so many people and owing so many people that they don't even know why they're there anymore. And I started feeling just a little bit like that. I started feeling like I was playing the game by rules that I was never willing to play the game by. And then I went and saw Shamu. I took a two weeks off. I just got back. Went to SeaWorld with my kids. Swam in the ocean. It's warm in the ocean down there in Florida. Crashed in the waves. Watched a few sunsets. Hung out with my wife, watched some movies, played some guitar, met Shamu, and God started working something in my soul. And in the midst of all that, he started reminding me of some stuff. He started stirring in my soul some things that I didn't even realize I had lost. I didn't realize that I was somehow operating at 45%, feeling like I was okay. You know... If you're new here, this is maybe good for you. And if you're not new here, then this is probably good for you too. But we're not here for some polished production, okay? That's, I'm not into that. 
We're not here for that. We're not here for a bless me club where everybody comes and everybody just wants to be blessed and we have this consumer mentality. We're not here to grab you know, a big crowd of people and have a big bunch of people show up. That's not why we're here. We're here because we long for the church in her glory. We're here because we have this crazy idea that you can build your life around Jesus, that he can be the source and the substance of everything that you are and he really is the cure for the human condition and being madly in love with him is really all that life is about that's why we're here because we love him and we're here because we know that there's a magic that occurs when people come together in the bond called community and begin to live life for jesus and for one another and do it in concert with each other we're here because we have this wild idea that people are not going to build their lives around their work or around their business or around their success or around their money but that we will actually be people who are crazy enough to orient our lives around the mission of God to see the world reconciled to himself. Yes, that's why I'm here. That's what I want to be a part of. And you know, as I began to meditate on those truths, something inside of me started to fill with color again. Something inside of me started to come alive that I didn't even know had died. And I need to be honest with you, as I battled and buried myself in Psalm 84, I found some of the secrets that this psalmist understood that breathe life into the Christian soul, move us beyond a transactional relationship with God into the very substance of who he is. Psalm 84, verse one. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yeah, faints, for the courts of the Lord. Look at these words. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Question for you. When's the last time the gospel moved you to tears? When's the last time the gospel moved you to tears? The last time that you began to look at the incarnate God hanging on a tree, the last time you realized that God became flesh, that he dwelt among us, that he loved us so much that he substituted his life for ours so that he could exchange all of his perfect righteousness, giving it to us, and then take away all of our wicked sinfulness, giving it to him on the cross, calling us blameless before him. This beautiful reality. When's the last time it flashed before you in glory and you found yourself just weeping in the goodness of the gospel of Christ. When's the last time that happened to you? Has it been a while? Has it been a while since that reality dawned on your soul? Because maybe you're moving into gray a little bit too. Amen. Verse three, check out verse three. This guy's, this guy's all about it. My heart and my flesh sing for joy. Verse three, even the sparrow finds a home. A swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. You know, I'm reading that and I'm studying that. And there's all types of exegetical realities about that. But I'm thinking to myself, this guy's talking about birds. I mean, like, what's going on? You know, like, I can just see the psalmist here. Like, he's, he's singing about how important the temple is and how important it is to be in God's presence. And then he's just seeing birds. Like, he was, God, even the birds. He's just there, like, worshiping Jesus and, like, realizing that, you know, even the birds. Wow, even the birds. Find a home there. Question for you. When's the last time you stopped and stood in awe of God's creation? It had been a while for me. It had been too long. You know, I was on vacation, and my kids come running up to me, Dad, 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 we found a dead lizard. 
And I'm like, yes. So we go and we look at the lizard and he's like there and his body's decomposing and his bones are poking out. And we're looking at him and I'm just like, I worship you, Jesus. Look at that amazing lizard. That's incredible. We were at a Hampton Inn a few days after that. You know, Hampton Inns are awesome. I'm a big fan of Hampton Inn, pro Hampton Inn. Maybe I'll get an endorsement from Hampton Inn. Go Hampton Inn. They got really soft beds, very nice sheets. Anyways, we're at the Hampton Inn and we're swimming in the swimming pool and Gabe finds, my older son finds this bug that I've never seen in my life. Maybe God just created it recently. I'm not sure, but, but it's black and orange. It looks just like a bumblebee, but it's black and orange and it's dead on the side of the pool. And he's like, dad, look at this. And we go running over and I pick it up. Boys, don't touch the stinger. And we're looking at this thing. And I'm just, again, wrapped in the awe of God's creation. I found myself standing on the beach watching these waves just crash down and just being like, wow, it's been a while since I looked at this. It's been a while. I've gotten so busy with my routines. I've gotten so in a cycle. I'm being real with you. Maybe you could be real with me. I've gotten so into the gray that I've lost the color. What in the world happened here? We were driving home, and it's a long drive with a pregnant wife and two little boys, believe me, from Florida. But God met us even as we were driving home. There was a sunset out the left side of the window, and it was glorious. It was pink and orange, and it was, you know those sunsets, you know what I mean? And uh, I just turned, and, and my wife, you know, I'm trying to drive. I'm like, wow, 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 you know, just in awe, in awe. When's the last time you were in awe? You know, Jonathan Edwards, one of the great theologians and scholars in American history. Listen to what he said. I often used to sit and view the moon for a long time. And so in the daytime spent much time in viewing the clouds and sky to behold the sweet glory of God in these things. In the meantime, singing forth with a low voice my contemplations of the creator and the redeemer. I felt God at the first appearance of a thunderstorm. I used to take the opportunity at such times to fix myself to view the clouds, to see the lightning play, to hear the majestic and awful voice of God's thunder, which oftentimes was exceeding entertaining, exceedingly entertaining leading me to sweet contemplations of my great and glorious God. And while I viewed, used to spend my time, as it always seemed natural to me, to sing or chant forth my meditations, to speak my thoughts and soliloquies, to speak with a singing voice. So here we have Jonathan Edwards, America's greatest theologian, singing with the clouds. He's singing with the clouds. Yeah, he is. Because there's something about life that when you're living it with God, you do things like that. What about you? What's your Christian faith like? When's the last time you wept when you heard the glory of Christ on the cross? When's the last time it captured your heart to such a degree that you found yourself just in awe? When's the last time you walked outside and you said, my God, you've created some glorious things. Is it possible that you've missed that? Is it possible that you've transferred life down into some transactional relationship with God, ho-humming through the Bible, and you're wondering why you don't have the vibrancy of life inside of you? Well, let's find the secret. It's buried in Psalm 84, verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Then it says, Selah, pause, think about that. Blessed are those, verse 5, whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Blessed are those, happy are those, 
In other words, is the first part. Happy are those who dwell in your house. There's a secret there. There's a place of continual contentment, continual life, ever singing, ongoing celebration, ever singing your praise is what the scripture says. You know, I remember as a kid, I would, uh, I would constantly leave the lights on you know, at my house. And my stepdad would always be like, hey, uh, you think you can shut the lights off? And I'd be like, oh yeah, 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 I'll shut the lights off and I'd always leave them on. Hey, you think you can shut the lights off? We probably had 750,000 conversations about leaving the lights on over the course of the years that I was growing up, you know. And, and uh, now I have a family of my own and I pay my own electric bill and my kids stink and leave the lights on all the time. And it drives me nuts. And I'm always like, hey, boys, do you think you could shut the lights off? And they're like, oh, yeah, dad, yeah, yeah, we'll shut them off. They don't shut them off. Hey, guys, do you think you could? And, and their mind is like, dad, what, what do I got to shut the lights off? Who cares about the lights? Let's run the water. Let's turn the lights on. Who cares? Let's keep that air conditioner rocking. I don't care about those things because I'm a kid. I dwell in your house. I'm not thinking about mortgages or electric bills. I'm not thinking about water bills. I'm not thinking about those things because, dad, I dwell in your house and you got to deal with those things. I don't have to deal with those things. Blessed are those who dwell in his house. It's a continual feast when you learn to dwell. Dwell in his house. And then it says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those who draw from the strength of God in whose hearts, where's your heart? It's on a highway to Zion. Zion is the place of intimate union with God. Zion is the place of the blessing of God. In other words, my body's in one place, but my heart is somewhere else. It's with God. This is the secret. This is the secret I was talking about. It's not about having the perfect quiet time with God. It's not about systematically reading through the Bible in a year. It's not about those things. There's something deeper than a transactional relationship with God. There's something that draws to the very core of who you are. It's a secret that most of us don't learn, but I'm committed as a community to us discovering it. It's a secret outlined by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4. He says it like this, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, Paul is saying there is a place in Christ where the contentment that is found in Jesus supersedes any of life's circumstances and is a continual feast, a continual well. Are you there? And when you're there, the gospel in all of its radiant splendor and all of its flashes of glory is so clear to the soul that it could move you to tears. When you're there, you see that sunset or that little bug and you rejoice in the glorious creation of God because you see him in panoramic view. But wait a minute, Justin, I thought God wanted to bless me. I thought God wanted to enrich me. I thought God wanted to help me and heal me and fix me. And wait a second. He does, by the way, okay? He does. He does want to bless you. But the secret that you and I have got to grasp is that true pleasure and happiness and blessing are not found in houses or cars or money or things. The real secret is him. Look at verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. That's the heart, friends. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. In other words, you know what, God? Just a few minutes with you is better than a lifetime without you. This is the value system of the true follower of God. God, 
you are ultimate satisfaction. If I'm just near you, if I'm just with you, if I'm just following and walking in you, all chaos can be around me. God, one day with you is way better than a lifetime without you. Real contentment, this all-encompassing enjoyment and satisfaction of Jesus that colors and flavors every aspect of life. See, in the natural realm, maturity is developed generally through independence. Stay with me this morning. Maturity is generally developed through independence. In other words, you know, you turn 16, you get your driver's license, you get a car, you become more independent, right? Right, hopefully. And then, you know, and then you get a job, hopefully, if you're, you know, blessed and you get a job and you start to make money and then you get a bank account. So now you have a bank account and a car and a driver's license and, and you're starting to feel more independent. Then you move out of mom and dad's basement, right? And then you get your own place and you start to live at your own place. And then you have to buy food and then you have to cook that food and then you have to eat the food that you cook, which is always a bummer in the beginning. And then you have a car and a license and a food and, and, a, and a house and, and a payment and a this and a that and a cell phone and, and on and on and in independence proves your maturity see but in the kingdom it's not independence that proves your maturity in God's kingdom if you want to be mature in Christ you must become more dependent not less that was really good thanks the higher you go with Jesus the more dependent on Jesus you must become Some of you have hit a wall and you're flatlining in your faith and you're wondering why when you read John 15, it just doesn't do the same thing it used to do to you. You've gone through the routines. You've done all the stuff. You sing the songs. You sit down. You give the money. God, why am I flattening out? Why is this thing so stale? Friend, you've got to learn the secret of dependence on him when you're dwelling in his house, when you're feeding off his strength. There is no limit to where he will take you, but you must go there, not by growing up, but by growing down. Matthew 18 says it like this, the words of Jesus. He says it like this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's the greatest. This is why the old Christian weeping about the gospel that he's heard 50,000 times is altogether glorious. This is why sitting there with Jonathan Edwards as he chants in his low singing voice as he looks at the clouds There's a secret there that you and I often lack. You notice Paul said in Philippians 4 that we just read, I have learned, I have learned the secret of being content. See, this is a learned behavior. This is something that you can learn. And for some of us, you've been too far content, stay with me, too far content with a consumer mindset in your faith. Well, God's going to bless me, help me, heal me, fix me. Your auto insurance, God. That's where you've operated. Or some of us, you've evolved beyond that, and now you're in this transactional thing. Well, God, if I do this, will you do that? And you're not realizing that that transactional relationship, that that consumer mentality is never going to get you to a real place of contentment. But you might be at the place where you're like, wait a second, I'm a little confused. Does God want me blessed, or does God want to make me sick and, and, and lack? Does God want me to be in poverty? Does God want me to be in lack? No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't, okay? That's not the New Testament model. And anybody that teaches that it is the New Testament model isn't reading the same New Testament. Because Jesus came and he said, I've come to destroy the works of the evil one. That's what the Bible speaks about Jesus. He taught us to pray and he said, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, in heaven there's no lack. That's what I want for you. In heaven there's no sickness. That's what I want for you. He's given us a mission to contend for that blessing. But this is where people get off, okay? We contend for that blessing and when we don't see it in the open, 
overlap of these two kingdoms, we lose faith in God, not realizing that your contentment should have never come from the blessing of God. Your contentment should have always come from God himself. That it's in him that all contentment is found. And in that place of contentment, above the circumstance, you then contend for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you live in a place of perpetual contentment in Christ and at the same time contend for the fullness of his blessing on this earth. This is where God wants to take us. This is where God wants to take us. Why is it so important that you learn to have strength in him? Because look at what God gives those who find this secret. Verse 6. This is right after he says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, that place of continual celebration. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have that pilgrim heart. I'm on my way to Zion. Blessed are those. But then he says this, as they go through the valley of Baca or the valley of weeping, depending on what your translation says, they make it a place of springs. As they go through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. Check this out. Those who learn to draw from God's strength have the capacity to transform the geography around them. Those who learn to operate in God's strength have a supernatural capacity to turn places by God's spirit within them from places of weeping to places of rejoicing. They also have the capacity to skip the valleys of the soul Look what it says in verse six. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. In other words, it doesn't mean that you're not gonna go through difficult times. That's not what it means. But it means that in the midst of those difficult times, you're able to stay in that place that Paul talked about in Philippians 4, that place of ongoing rejoicing, that place of ongoing contentment. Look how this psalm ends, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He's a sun, he's the source of light, and he's a shield, he protects us. God bestows favor and honor. Some translations would say God bestows grace, which we know he does, and glory. He gives us his glory. The end of verse 11, no good thing. This is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. You're thinking, wait a second, wait a second. I've been a Christian for a little while now, Justin, and it really seems like God's withheld some good things from me. You ever felt that way? God withheld some good things. There were some good things that you wanted, that you pursued, that were good things, and they didn't come your way. Am I the only one? Okay, I'm the only one. Then I won't talk about that. We'll just move on. No, we've all experienced that, haven't we? Well, good things, sometimes it seems like, God, what's the deal? Well, I don't know the caverns of your own soul. It could be that you didn't walk uprightly. It could be that your heart's not upright before God. James tells us that we uh, have not because we ask not, but we ask and don't receive because we ask with wrong motives so that we'll spend it on our pleasures. So that could be it. He does say, blessed are those, you know, he says that no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So maybe that is it. Or maybe it has nothing to do with that. Maybe God had something better for you. And the good thing that you thought was a good thing wasn't a good thing because he had a good thing that was better than that good thing. Maybe. Maybe, here's one that you'll love. Maybe you'll never know why. He didn't give you that good thing. He gets to be God. He gets to be God. And it's through faith and patience, the Bible says, that we inherit the promises. How many ever heard of Peter, the apostle Peter? Let me see your hand. 
Okay. How many heard of Jesus? Jesus. We got. Okay. Go. Just making sure. How many ever heard of Joseph Barsabbas? Anybody? Joseph Bart. He's not quite as popular as Peter. He wasn't the who's who of Bible, but he is in the Bible, by the way. He's in the Bible, and uh, he has a very, just a cameo appearance in the Bible, which I think is still legit. You're not in the Bible. <laughs> I am, but I'll show you that verse next week. <laughs> just kidding. Um, he's in there. Very cameo appearance. He's mentioned in the book of Acts. If you know the story, Jesus raises from the dead. And one of his disciples, Judas, uh, betrays him. And so now there's this hole. They got 11 disciples rather than 12. And so the disciples feel that it's really important for the apostles to launch out and preach the gospel all over the world. They need 12 men. And so they decide to appoint a 12th, 12th man. And uh, they pick two guys and they say, okay, it's going to be one of these guys, Matthias or Joseph Barsabbas, right? So this guy or that guy. And they pray and they seek God and they cast lots and they decide it's Matthias. So Joseph Barsabbas is this guy that he was like, this close to being an apostle and now he's a footnote he's nothing you know it's like he's the fifth beetle he's the guy that's like you know (laughs) you were almost Ringo but you're not now you're just a guy and so you know Joe just kind of falls off into obscurity nobody is he's not mentioned again in the New Testament Now, this is a guy that walked with Jesus. He was probably one of the people that Jesus sent out to see miracles. He watched Jesus do miracles. He performed miracles himself by the power of Jesus. He saw Jesus resurrect from the dead. He's this close to getting put in the most exclusive Jesus club ever brought about. And he doesn't get in by a stinking straw pole. I mean, if anybody ever had a reason to be bitter getting passed over, feeling ripped off, forgotten. Have you ever felt that way before God? God, why didn't you pick me? Why didn't it work out? Why did that fall through? Why did that happen, God? I can imagine that some of those thoughts potentially had run through this guy's mind. And yet tradition tells us that Joe went on to become the bishop, the overseeing leader of the nearby city right outside Jerusalem. God used him in a powerful way and he ended up being a martyr for Christ, giving his life for the gospel. Apparently, Joseph Barsabbas was so convinced that God was for him and that God was good that he was able to walk beyond his disappointment of not being chosen and wholeheartedly and fully give himself to the highest level of martyrdom for Christ, for the glory of God. Because maybe... He understood that the higher you go in Christ, the more dependent you must become. And there are parts of this thing you're not going to understand, but you lean into Him. You know, my, uh, me and my kids play this game where they climb up on something really tall, really high, and then they jump into my arms. They've been playing it since they were able to walk, you know? Like, we don't have a name for it. It's just the jump in dad's arms game. And all I need to do is see them climb up on something and see that crazy look in their eye, and I know that they're getting ready to jump into my arms. You know, it's just the way that, that we do things. And so, you know, um, they climb up and jump to me, and my, my little one is four, and he's just fearless. He'll jump off the Empire State Building and expect me to catch him. I mean, there's no grid for dad not catching. It's just dad always catches. That's the way he operates. My older one, he's six years old, and it's only been recently, maybe the last six months, that I've watched him start to hesitate in the dad is going to catch me game. And here he is six years old. And it's interesting to me that sometimes as we mature, 
you know, now he's measuring the distance. Boy, Dad, that looks a little bit far for you to catch me. I don't think you're actually going to be able to do that. Uh, maybe you should come in a little closer. No, 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 son, it's fine. Go ahead and jump. No, 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 Dad, I'm older now, and I realize that this is a bit of a jump here, and um, I'm expecting you to move in a bit. See, my maturity has uh, shown me that I can now analyze this stuff, and, and it's really unrealistic for you to catch me, so um, why don't you move it in? And just recently, we were having one of these conversations while he's standing on my car, which, you know, whatever, and he's going to jump to me, and I said, come on, jump to me. He said, Dad, why don't you come in a little closer? I said, jump to me. He said, Dad, just come a little closer. I looked at him. I said, Gabriel, has your father ever dropped you? Well, he said, well, no. He said, jump, boy. And he jumped, and I caught him. Good thing. I mean, it would have messed up the kid's whole psychological world if I dropped him right then. You know, like, oh, gosh. Here's the point. If you want to grow up in God, you have to actually become more dependent on him, not less. If you want to get stronger in Christ, you actually have to lean more into Christ like a child. This is the way this game is played. I don't know how I missed this. It's all over the Bible. I mean, I would have agreed with it, but it's somehow God's been showing me this in a much more clear way that sometimes our faith flattens out, not because of a sin, but because we're just simply acting as if it depends on us instead of acting as if it depends on him. Come on, stand on your feet with me. I want you to take the advice of Psalm 84 this morning. I want you to take the advice of Psalm 84 and look at what it says here real clearly. How, loving, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs. Yeah, it faints for the courts of the Lord. And then I love this line. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. God, I'm singing about who you are and about what you've done. It's glorious. It's beautiful. My heart's on the highway to Zion. I'm dwelling in your house because, God, it's better to be with you for a day than it is to be without you for a lifetime. That's the, that's the perspective. Maybe you're here today and life's gotten a little gray. Maybe you're here today and your Christian faith doesn't have that same fervency and fire. Maybe you're like me and you didn't even know why or how this, this happened. And yet you find yourself in that place. Maybe it's time for you to come back to your father and sing for joy with your heart and your flesh crying out to the living God. We invite you right now, Jesus. Revive our hearts, Jesus. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this City Church podcast. Visit City Church at www.ourcitychurch.org.